Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello all you magical people out there and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are going to be doing The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 22, Owl Post Again. And we have officially reached the last chapter of this book. I'm kind of sad about it because it's one of my favorite books. (laughs) Well, after Sirius escapes again, Harry and Hermione have 10 minutes to get back into the hospital wing without anyone seeing them. They, of course, run into Fudge, Snape, and even Peeves. But, of course, they make it just in the nick of time. They tell Dumbledore that they've saved Buckbeak and Sirius, and they make it back to the hospital room just in time for Madame Pomfrey to return as well. Talk about an anxiety-provoking evening. I mean, wow. It amazes me what people can achieve even in the height of the most extreme anxiety. You had mentioned in the last chapter how, you know, it's not really about confidence. It's about anxiety. And, you know, anxiety is kind of like a superpower, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I'm finding, too. Anxiety gives us this boost of adrenaline that makes us physically stronger, emotionally more prepared. It makes us faster. It gives us more oxygen, which is why our breathing gets a little bit more labored, but it's actually our body trying to take in more oxygen. It allows us to almost slow down time because our mind speeds up so much. So it allows us to process information faster so that we can respond to our environment. And so absolutely, anxiety is a superpower. And whether it's when we're facing an enemy or when we have to do something like give a speech, anxiety makes us stronger and better. And so rather than trying to push it away or force it away, we can look at it as a supercharge. We can look at it as our body giving us that superpower that makes us ready for whatever we're about to do. I know I am like 
crossing over into another fandom, but I actually remember a Doctor Who episode where he explains to this young child that fear is a superpower. The thing on the bed, whatever it is, look at it, does it scare you? Yes. Well, that's good. You want to know why that's good? Why? Let me tell you about scared. Your heart is beating so hard. I can feel it through your hands. There's so much blood and oxygen pumping through your brain. It's like rocket fuel. Right now, you could run faster and you could fight harder. You could jump higher than ever in your life. And you are so alert. It's like you can slow down time. What's wrong with scared? Scared is a superpower. It's your superpower. There is danger in this room. And guess what? It's you. Do you feel it? In the meantime, while the kids are getting themselves situated back in the hospital wing, Snape and Fudge find out that Sirius has escaped, and they burst into the hospital wing with Dumbledore only to find Harry and Hermione in their beds. Snape is convinced Harry had something to do with Sirius's escape, but there is no proof. And the tide's kind of turned here. Instead of the kids not being believed and their word against adults, now the authorities won't side with Snape because they actually see that Harry and Hermione are in their hospital beds. However, this situation is more akin to gaslighting. And you had mentioned that also in the last chapter. Dumbledore is guilty of gaslighting Snape and Fudge here. Can you explain the premise of gaslighting? And do you believe there are moments like this one where this behavior is actually justified? I'm glad you asked this question. Gaslighting essentially refers to trying to convince somebody that what they're seeing and believing and perceiving is wrong when it's actually an intentional lie. And a lot of times it's done for selfish reasons or to manipulate or control that person. Sometimes it's kind of an unwanted side effect of what the individual is trying to do. I imagine in terms of whether the situation is ever justified, it depends on the particular situation and particular person. But I do know working with a lot of trauma survivors that gaslighting can be extremely, extremely difficult for people to get past because it makes people question their own reality. And especially for trauma survivors who were then gaslighted about it, those individuals are less likely to then reach out for help and to acknowledge that they're struggling because they've been made to not believe their own reality. As much as I love a lot of the like 80s movies or 90s movies like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there's a lot of gaslighting in that movie, especially in terms of his sister and the principal. Now, the principal is not really a likable guy, right, because his whole mission is just to get his students into trouble. But Ferris's sister is kind of innocent in this, you know, and Mm -hmm. and, uh, her brother keeps getting away with everything. And I think in a lot of situations... We really need to think about, hey, if I'm going to lie, what kind of damage might this do? And is there another way? You know, do the ends really justify the means here? Because in the short term, it might seem like fun and games, but in the long term, it can be really, really damaging to the recipient of gaslighting. The next day, the kids are released from the hospital and they go to the edge of the lake and they revisit the wild night they had. 
While they're there, Hagrid appears and tells them that Snape told the Slytherins that Lupin was a werewolf and that he got loose last night. Hagrid also tells them that Lupin is resigning and is packing his things up right now to leave. Harry desperately needs to speak with Lupin before he goes. You've been sacked. No. No. I resign, actually. Resign? Why? Ah, it seems that somebody let slip the nature of my condition. This time tomorrow, the owls will start arriving and parents will not want a, um, well, someone like me teaching their children. But Dumbledore... Dumbledore has already risked enough on my behalf. Besides, people like me are, um, well, let's just say that I'm used to it by now. How might Lupin's situation reflect what we might see in real life? Well, I think a lot of times when individuals' reputation can bring up something about them that can cause them to lose their job, that can be really unfortunate. For example, there might be a lot of religious schools that might fire somebody for their sexual orientation or their gender identity. And it's really heartbreaking because then it's that individual's private life that has nothing to do with their ability to teach that can get in the way. Or in Lupin's case, maybe somebody's health condition, right? If let's say somebody is struggling with a mental health condition or a physical health condition, like AIDS, for example, that is something that unfortunately to this day in some places can get that individual fired and it's really, really unfortunate because, yet again, this is somebody who's already struggling and who's perfectly capable of doing their job, getting fired for something that really doesn't have to do with their ability to teach. Mm -hmm. While Harry's there, Dumbledore enters the classroom to tell Lupin that his carriage has arrived. Lupin says goodbye and leaves, and Dumbledore and Harry discuss the previous night's events, and while they're doing that, Harry recalls Trelawney's prediction and realizes that she was actually talking about Pettigrew. He's the servant of Lord Voldemort, and he is going to help Voldemort regain his power. It's interesting that Trelawney is right again. She was only right twice. And what did you say about the fortune teller that gives like 10,000 fortunes but only has two that are right? <laughs> well, overall, we know Trelawney is not a reliable psychic, especially when her predictions are made on her own. But when she gets almost possessed and then gives the predictions, those are the ones that are accurate. Yeah, it just was interesting. While they're talking, Harry explains to Dumbledore that he thought he saw his dad and he felt like he was being stupid about it. But Dumbledore responds in this very compassionate way and he says, do you think the dead we love ever truly leave us? What do you think about this quote? I think that those people that we love are always a part of us. They might have influenced the way that we are, the things that we do, our characteristics. And so in a lot of ways, I think they're alive forever in our hearts and our actions. Yeah, I think it's just beautiful, too, when he talks about how Harry conjured up the Patronus and it was the stag. And that was actually his dad's like animagus form. And, and his dad's Patronus, too. Yeah. So he was actually kind of like a part of him that came out just naturally. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very beautiful thought. This chapter is a lot of the end where everything's just coming together and, you know, everybody's gotten their grades back and the kids are getting ready to go on holidays and go back to the summer. And Ron invites Harry to come live with the Weasleys during the summer. And this just makes Harry so happy. Also, Harry receives a letter from Sirius from a very tiny, cute little owl. Harry even said it felt like this furry snitch. (laughs) In the letter, Sirius explains that he was the one who sent Harry the firebolt earlier on in the school year. And there's also another letter inside that says that since Sirius is Harry's godfather, he is giving Harry permission to go to Hogsmeade. These are two wonderful things. Two wonderful gestures, absolutely. Yeah. What do loving relationships like this do for someone like Harry who has experienced so much abuse and trauma? For people who experience abuse and trauma, they might internalize a belief that they're not important, that nobody's in their corner, that nobody cares. And especially when that kind of trauma comes from the people that are supposed to protect them, right? In Harry's case, it was his relatives that were supposed to raise him and look out for him. Now that he's receiving support from his chosen family, right, from his friends, his teachers, and his godfather, he is in a lot of ways starting to heal. For a trauma survivor, the most healing thing that they can experience is a compassionate listener, somebody that will just be there, be their advocate, be in their corner, not somebody that tells them to quote unquote, just get over it. And so... For Harry, having these individuals, having his chosen family be in his corner in this way, this is, I think, one of the biggest reasons that he emotionally and physically survived and endured all the kind of things that he did and will do over the series. And at this point, Harry deserves some much needed oxytocin, as you'd call it, or just joy and compassion and love. And at the end of the chapter, Harry meets up with the Dursleys at the train station and he tells them that the escaped murderer that was all over the news is actually his godfather. And he essentially threatens them that they better treat him nicely or else, you know, they're gonna get it. So Harry walks off towards their car with this huge smile. And for the first time since he found out he was a wizard, he looks to his summer with great anticipation. And that's the end of The Prisoner of Azkaban and the end of Season 3 of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Van Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Harry Potter Therapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind, stay magical, and take care. The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always. 
consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.